0: Welcome to Teacher Tales, a podcast from the spirit of teaching. This is your host, Linda Markley, and I invite you to join me and my guests as we get curious, explore, discover, and learn more about what is really at the heart of teaching. In each episode, we will hear the story of a teacher, what called them to teach, what are their greatest joys and challenges in teaching, what inspires them. And what are their hopes, dreams, and vision for the education of children? We will learn more about the greatest lessons they have taught and also the greatest lessons they have learned. No checklists, no standards, no reports, no paperwork, and no data. Just stories from their hearts to our hearts on a journey to celebrate what really matters in the true spirit of teaching. Okay. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Teacher Tales. Again, I am so excited that you're here, and I have a great guest today that I want to you to, to learn about and hear her story, so I'm going to let her introduce herself.
1: Hello, everybody. My name is Joanne Negrin, and I am the Supervisor of English as a Second Language Bilingual Education World Languages and Performing Arts for a district in New Jersey called Vineland, which is in the extreme south of New Jersey, sort of halfway between Philadelphia and the shore.
0: Okay. Many hats. Joanne, you wear many
1: hats. <laughs> that's a- everything fun, I call it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great attitude. That's the kind of attitude you have to have nowadays with all the things that are being put on our plates and stuff. So um, you're a supervisor now and you are wearing many hats. And the last podcast I did was with a teacher that I wanted to share how she does many things and kind of disproves the old adage of, those who can do and those who can't teach. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah. So you're another great example of that. So tell us about your journey. Why did you become a teacher?
1: Well, uh, that wasn't what I set out to do. I was, uh, I remember when when I was a senior in high school, I got a New Jersey teaching scholarship, which was where they would pay for any public college if as long as you taught for a certain number of years. And I turned it down flat because I was not going to be a teacher and I was absolutely not going to to live in New Jersey. So, um, you know, I guess, I guess it just goes to show that you never know. Um, but no, I went to, I went to college in Washington, D.C. Um, I studied international relations. I did, you know, study abroad things. And my goal was to become a lawyer and join the State Department. Um, for various reasons, I couldn't go to law school right away. So I decided to start working in a law firm, make some contacts, get to, you know, get to know things, and discovered that I hated it. And, you know, it was really more the just the adversarial nature of the practice of law, the this one versus that one. And there's winners and losers. And it just really didn't, you know, didn't mesh with my uh, worldview. And, you know, of course, at that time, there wasn't mediation or anything. Now you have more options. But, you know, here I was at, you know, 22 or 23 and realizing that my life plan just wasn't going to work for me. Um, so therefore, what was I going to do? And I, I needed to keep this job because it did, I got overtime. It paid really well. I was self-supporting. Um, so I was looking for some sort of volunteer outlet and, uh, at the risk of dating myself, I looked in the one ads, um, and found a, um, an advertisement that was, they were looking for volunteer ESL tutors. I said, well, that I can do. Um and you know, to uh it was with a refugee resettlement program uh, which in the early 90s was mostly in DC it was mostly people from Central America, uh, Ethiopia and Somalia and I loved it so much that I traded that law degree in for a master's in ESL by the
0: that's a great story, and you say you date yourself, but I can date myself even more. The first job I got when I moved to New York City, because I couldn't get a teaching job, um, I got out the yellow pages and I went through, I went through the the, the long list of import export companies, um, and it, because I had bilingual skills, I could you know bring that to the table and help increase their business, and uh, and so I just cold called. Right through the alphabet of the import export companies. And it took me till I got to the word P, Pace International, mm-hmm. and they hired me. So, language skills are great, you know, great you know, uh, resume differentiator. And it also, in, I think, really enriches your life. And um, because you can make a lot of connections and learn about a lot of other people, and, um, and it just opens up your world.
1: And, and what I always tell people is that, you know, you don't have to be perfect, you know, with another language, you, you don't have to be hundred percent fluent. You don't have to be perfect. You can make mistakes. Um, and it's, it's really just about, you know, can you do what you need to do in that language? And right. so, you know, please, you know, don't be shy about that. I mean, we have some principals who do very well. They do their, you know, Duolingo or whatever other program they're using and, um, you know, they, they make the effort and people see them making the effort. And that's okay. what's, that's, what's important. I mean, and you and that goes a long way with your kids too.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what was your t- first teaching job? After you got your master's, what did you do?
1: Well, you know, it was kind of interesting. I I took the checkered, you know, the checkered route, basically. Uh, I, I talk about my checkered past because um, <laughs> the first thing I did was, you know, was this refugee resettlement program for about three years or so. And, and, and really, I think a lot of my education really came from there. Some really important things that I learned, uh, things like education and intelligence are two entirely separate constructs um, where I would have people who had never learned to read or write, but they were some of the smartest people I'd ever met. Um, and I think that that's something that a lot of us don't learn. Um, and we put a lot of stock in things like degrees and titles and things like that, that don't necessarily mean that much. Amen. Um, you know, the, the other thing was just work ethic. I mean, you know, of course I was, you know, in my twenties and there might've been a day when you know there's one partic- particular day. I remember it was a Saturday. I was supposed to go there and teach and there was a, you know, ice storm or something and, I just wasn't feeling like going and I just called in at the last minute. And my coordinator told me, I just want you to know that 13 of your students did show up. And it was, you know, it was just sort of that, you know, revelation to me that, you know, these are people who are working two and three jobs that are juggling families that maybe the kids don't even want to be here. And they were willing to make the sacrifice to get up and go on that day. So who the heck was I to decide that their time was not worth that. Yeah, so I, it's something that really kind of molded my own ethics um, going, going forward. I mean, that was the last time I did that.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, Joanne, that really hit me hard in the heart. That was so, that's such a wonderful example of what I feel teachers are going through right now. As far Mm -hmm. as they know that there are kids showing up and there are kids that are wanting to learn, and they, the teacher and school, they're the highlight of that kid's day, the best part Mm -hmm. maybe of their life. And we lose sight of it because there are, there, and there, it's growing a, a faction of students and parents who are very aggressive and very negative and very, um, kind of overshadowing all of the kids and the parents who do appreciate them. And that's Mm -hmm. unfortunate. So that's a great reminder. And teachers, I hope you're listening to that and you take it to heart, just like I did. I mean, it made me choke up because that's why we do what we do. Um, Mm -hmm. And I know there's a thing going around in social media of like, you know, stop saying it's for the kids. We need more money. And that's true. That's Mm -hmm. true. But mm-hmm. I still think that at the heart of teaching, it's for the kids and uh, and for the ones that show up, like you said, yeah. like those things yeah. and,
1: and it done. is it is a tough balance. and i'm i I do one hundred percent agree with that. I'm lucky, you know, I mean, New Jersey is a uh, you know, like I you know we're we're at Union State. Um you know, our our representation is strong. I think that, you know, nothing is perfect, but I think we have a decent deal. um. In, in our state, we're pretty well protected still in terms of uh, what we're able to do in the classroom. So a lot of the, the more egregious things that are happening in this country are not really happening in, in many districts here. There are some, and it depends on your local configuration. Um, the other thing about us is that we're 600 plus independent school districts uh, in a tiny state. So there's a lot of variation there. But um, I think, by and large, it's it's uh, it's not a bad climate. All, all things considered, um, I I also think that it's really important to you know. So it is important to be valued and treated as a professional. I think that that's a non-negotiable. But it's also important to decenter yourself, and the way that I do that, and it's the reason why I can come in and you know speak in front of people, do podcasts, do all these things. Um, if I were doing it for me, I might not want to get out there, but, um, you know, I kind of dissenter myself and I really look at myself as an instrument of whatever it is that I'd like to see out there. Um, and when you do that, you, uh, you sort of give yourself a lot of power because now it's, I'm just a piece of this larger, um, of this larger force for change that I want to see. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that does make a big difference in the way that I look at um, the challenges that I have in front mm-hmm. of me.
0: That's another great point of like mindset. As far as teachers, you know, we have to have our mindset where we're not the machine. We're mm-hmm. not the full machine with all the moving parts. We're just a moving
1: part in the bigger
0: machine. And, right, and you're um, not yeah.
1: responsible for the mm-hmm. larger machines running. You can only be responsible yeah. for your part. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The that I always have to tell myself is I can't move any faster than the folks in front of me. You know, because right. there's a few things and I want to do them now. But, you know, changing a culture takes time.
0: It does. It if does. I
1: don't allow for that, then I'm going to get very frustrated. That's going to affect my attitude. It's going to affect my longevity. It's going to affect my effectiveness.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know here in Florida, I've been doing some talks and stuff. Um, we had the coding bill a few, like back in seven mm-hmm. or eight years ago, and yeah. it's coming back up as computer science. And so I've been out speaking and advocating and... It's really uncomfortable for you when teachers are like, "Well, you defeated it last time." No, I didn't. I was just that instrument that kind of poked at other people to speak up, or mm-hmm. might have been the vehicle through which they spoke, but it was not me. It was absolutely not me. So um, that's a good perspective to keep in mind, and and things happen that way when when we're not turning our lenses inward and thinking what am I going to get out of it? Or, you know, I i don't have any power to do anything. But, mm-hmm. you know, when you're well, part of a bigger well, machine,
1: you know, we all have a role to play, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe there's something that I'm very good at. And there are other things that I'm not so good at that someone else is good at. So, mm-hmm. you know, none of us is the center of the universe. And, and right. you have to play your role. And you have to see it as being one, you know, one small piece of, you know, a much larger machinery.
0: Mm-hmm. I know um, my, my daughter is at a different school this year. And um, one thing that has been a very powerful change for her that has made all the difference is that when there is a parent that comes in and wants to talk about something or maybe they're very aggressive, they the, the she doesn't meet just with the parent. Her mm-hmm. whole team meets with that parent. And it's mm-hmm. a unified, diverse perspective, but then it kind of comes together and, you know, it's like, well, we're all seeing the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. And that makes a big difference as far as how things unfold and the relationships mm-hmm. that develop from there, I think. So, yes.
1: And I also think, I mean, and I say this having been, you know, for, for many years, a middle school teacher, um, that was sort of after I did, I you know we were talking about what i had done and did, did the refugee program got the masters and then went abroad for 10 years um and then ended up coming back to new jersey in 2005 and getting a job teaching in a school district that was a much more um much more affluent school district than the one i'm in now so the big difference sometimes is you know that where i am now i have much less of that sort of i pay your salary sort of uh you know thing that you know from from parents from community members um And it's and so it is really um, one of the things that I found in dealing with with parents, with community members in in that context. And and then that helped me a lot as an administrator is just the power of listening Mm -hmm. Um, and making sure that you're not cutting the person off, making sure that they feel even if you end up not agreeing with them, um, that they feel like they've been listened to. Right. And that is that is the most powerful thing that you can do. And a lot of times that's what I would do is I would just sit and let the, you know, let the person just sort of unload everything, Mm -hmm. Um, kind of repeat back to them. Okay, well, this is this is what I heard you say, you know, this and then and then kind of bring in my part of it. But it's it's interesting how you could be transmitting the same message. And if they feel like they've had a chance to be heard first, the dynamic is going to be so different
0: absolutely when i was at the district that was one of the biggest lessons i learned was i was eager like the little puppy dog to go in and help and give them resources and say look at all this stuff i have for you and let me and they were like uh no and i have a folder on my desktop whatever you send me goes in there and i don't have time to look at it but maybe someday you know and what i found was more helpful was going in and just listening and um being kind of like a teacher therapist, whatever they needed to talk about or or if they needed me to grade papers, I graded papers. If they needed me to put up their bulletin board, I put up their bulletin board. So um, they just want to be seen and heard. They're human beings, and that's all any of us
1: want. So right. And you know. I think also acknowledging the the parents' expertise, right? Because if nothing else, they're they're probably an expert in their child right and and they see sides of that person that you don't see and so a lot of times when i needed to make a parent call i would almost kind of take a one down position on it and say you know i'm i'm really i'm seeing these behaviors in my class and i'm not really sure you know i i wanted to ask you if you're seeing these things at home what do you suggest for me mm-hmm. right and and kind of put them in that you know it's it's a way of disarming and it's a way of opening up the conversation and acknowledging um, acknowledging their not their their knowledge and their understanding of this, because a lot of times, um, and we tend to do this a lot of times with our more marginalized populations, more than anything, um, where we look at ourselves as the experts, and we're the ones that are transmitting knowledge to the parents. And, you know, a lot of our, our parent nights and everything else are kind of set up that way, where, where they're there to, to learn from us, right? But we have to make that a two-way street. We are also learning from them. And I think that's a really important thing for us to bring to the conversation because it automatically is going to make for a better conversation.
0: Okay, new teachers, there's your first big, great piece of advice from Joanne because that's huge. And um, yeah, they come to us, we don't need to armor up or, you know, be defensive about things, even when they are aggressive, just sit and listen and, and, and then ask, you know, what, what, you know, what can I do for your child? We're in a partnership here and stuff. So
1: it, it is, I mean, it, at first you're going to feel like it's a position of weakness, but in reality, it's the most powerful thing you can do.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I, I mean, I've done a lot of, you know, spiritual journey and, and walked the Camino and found out that that's the thing. If you just will sit in silence, just like in meditation, lots of things come to you. And when I've had a couple of aggressive people come at me um i just didn't say anything and just stood there or sat there and it was diffused immediately um so so i have learned that firsthand so where'd you go in europe for 10 years
1: well not all europe um but <laughs> uh, i was in i was in buenos aires for a while um mexico oh. City for three years and then they moved us to spain which was you know really great for me because that's where my family's from my dad is born and raised in madrid um mm-hmm. And then for a while, they had us in Moscow. And after that, I uh, I moved back here.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. Travel's a great education. So you, mm-hmm. that's a diverse uh, travel experience that uh, has made you well-rounded, which is what we're trying to do with kids, right? That's what Essa says. Every student mm-hmm. succeeds at. We want well-rounded children. Yeah. Uh, yep. So... So, how did you move into the, so you were in middle school, and I think that they're very, I I think there's a little shiny thing above your head, um, because middle school teachers (laughs) are special, it really takes a, a really special teacher to handle middle school kids, so.
1: You I, know, I always it. said that nobody is neutral about teaching middle school. You either really like it or you really don't. And thank <laughs> goodness because I was transferred into it. I started out in an elementary position and then, uh, you know, I just, you know, walked into my principal's office one day and said, oh, by the way, you know, we're reducing staff at this level and, you know, we have an opening there and you need to go there. So um, I was a little apprehensive about it at first. I loved it. Um I always said my first my my favorite grades to teach were first and eighth because neither of them have a filter for different reasons. <laughs> and I just appreciate the heck out of that. I mean, I'm very much the same way. So. <laughs> we we were we were the same mindset. Well,
0: authentic, that's the thing, authentic, you know. It's it's about authenticity and yeah, they're they're just like no filter, but mm-hmm. it's authentic and you You totally can't take anything personally because you know, it's not about you. It's totally about the way their brains firing in 50 different directions. And then, you know, just what's inside comes outside and and there's no-
1: Great preparation for an administrative role. <laughs> that's
0: great. <laughs> yes, that, that that's a every administrator should spend um a, f- a few weeks with first graders. And that would be the eighth graders. or eighth graders, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> so, what was it that because I know I went to the district because I thought I could be a champion for world languages and you know keep the program strong, and uh, that didn't work out. But what was it that drew you into? Um, the administrative part of, of, um, of teaching?
1: I think it was a lot of kind of hitting my head on my own sphere of influence um, where I would see things that could be better, you know, and I would say, Hey, you know, we really ought to do this. We might as well do that. And I would kind of get that little pat on my head, shut up and push the cart. Um, And I just really, you know, I, I got, very tired of that. And um, so I decided that this was something that I wanted to pursue. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, in 2000 and, you know, 2012, I got this, uh, you know, this opportunity to work in the district where I am now doing doing what I do. And, um, you know, people are surprised I've stuck at it this long. But really, honestly, I get to do everything that I love and very little of what I don't You know what's what's not to like. And, and yes, sometimes now I feel like I do hit my head on my sphere of influence again, but at the same time, I feel like any direction that I went with this, I might be giving up too much. And, um, you know, so I kind of try to, at this point, and, and I also, I had an accident a couple of years ago, I have a traumatic brain injury. And so sometimes I'm a little bit concerned about, you know, taking care of myself that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that with what I do now, I can do it and do it well. Um, I'm not, as confident if I had something that was much more 24 seven and unpredictable and strange sights and sounds and things like that, that, you Mm -hmm. know, crazy, but they affect me. So I've had to really rethink, um, you know, influence and power and accomplishing goals. And what does that look like when you're a person with a disability, which is what I am now. Um, and so really for me, a lot of it has been, okay, you need to, you need to mentor people. You know, you need to support people to get, you know, who get it, to get into those positions so that you have people to work with. Um, you know, I I had to learn how to read all over again, which I'm still nowhere near as good at as I was before. Um, I had to learn how to walk across a room. I had to, you know, there's a lot of things that you take for granted that can be taken away from you in a split second. Um, but it has also made me think about, you know, I think I'm much better as an educator than I was. Um, I had a, a, a well story as uh, I was doing a bilingual advisory committee meeting and a parent came up to me uh, with a with a letter from the district that was in English and asked me what it said and I explained it to her and it was a, an initial letter talking about a special education referral and she said to me well I don't understand why my child can't read in third grade when we give them all kinds of love and attention. And I said, sometimes it's, it's not just about the love and attention that you give. Sometimes the brain just works in a different way. And what this uh, evaluation is intended to do is to see how that brain works so that we can teach effectively and, uh, you know, and get your child to be able to learn things. And I explained, you know, I mean, I have, you know, through this accident, you know, I have a brain that works differently. And reading for me now, I mean, and I was always a voracious reader. Now I'm a functional reader and it drives me crazy. I wish they would have just taken an arm. Um, but, you know, it causes tremendous anxiety. Nothing nothing will strike fear into my heart more than uh, we're gonna do a book study. And so, because then, you know, then you start getting that stress, your affective filter is high, and then you're not absorbing what you're reading even more. Mm-hmm. Um, So I said, you know, I have certain strategies that I use. For example, anybody who's ever written a book about something is going to have a million videos on YouTube. So I'll go and watch them first Mm -hmm. and kind of get comfortable with the subject, with the author, with everything. What are they talking about? What's their organization? And then and only then will I go and open the book. Right. So now I already have that schema. So I I was kind of giving her some of these examples of how I, you know, effectively scaffold for myself in order Mm -hmm. to be successful at that level and say you know a lot of this is what they just teach you how to do
0: mm-hmm. right? that's that's you know I mean you could just think of it now as a gift that you're going to share with other people teachers that are working with kids with you know disabilities or processing um, challenges and I think even after the pandemic I've you know there that was trauma and there are a lot of people that are, I know I have a hard time with crowds and loud noises and too much overwhelm, and my brain doesn't work the same way, um, just from a trauma like the isolation. And I think that's what's going on in schools kind of silently in the background. But, but you know, I mean, I'm so sorry about, you know, what happened and everything for you, but uh, what a great attitude and perspective to... Um, share that in such a vulnerable way to show people that the brain works differently for everyone and it's not about what you said at the very beginning and there's a difference between intelligence and education and um, there are a lot of smart people that that you know maybe they can't take a test maybe their brain works differently but they're still smart and they have a lot to offer for sure. Yeah, I
1: I really feel like one of these days I really want to be able to you know just write a book or something about how you know have have you know having a a, a traumatic brain injury has made me a better educator. But of course I can't uh, I can't do that and work at the same time. So it's going to have to wait for retirement.
0: <laughs> but <laughs> yes,
1: yeah, you know, that's that's just a part of the condition. But um, you know, I mean, I've been fortunate, and again, Union State, I'm tenured. I'm able to speak about my disability freely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whereas so many other people. You know, don't have that luxury of being able to let people know what's going on with them. Whereas I have been able to, through the entire process, be, be very vocal about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, I'm, uh, I am very fortunate that I that I have that ability to express that. But I think that it's, you know, it's a very, you know, I feel like I'm much better. Um, you know, I have my, you know, my power a lot more because I understand what that is. I understand my sphere of influence, and I understand what I can do. And I think that I'm much more effective. Mm -hmm. Um, not only in my role, but also in creating a leadership infrastructure Mm -hmm. um, that is both above me and, and, you know, it's 360 because teachers are leaders too. Um, there's power and there's authority and, you know, authority is, is really the most effective thing.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, the, the bilingual brain works differently. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, a lot of times I always remember in, um, you know, one of my heroes, Jaime Escalante and Stand and Deliver, where, you know, he they put the kids in like special ed classes or they say they're dumb, they don't know anything. And, and he speaks up and says, no, they just don't speak English. They're brilliant. And he proved that with the, taking them through to calculus and everything. Um, so I think that's something that is a uh, belief among our educational system with some teachers that um, I had many conversations recently about, um, uh, they should just learn English, learn English, you know, don't come to school until you learn English. It's not my problem. And that's just like, <laughs> that's like not being compassionate or empathic. And, uh, you just
1: and shooting yourself in the foot because, mm-hmm. you know, shoot the whole nation in the foot, because really this is this, these are the kids that are our future, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that, that we have going on in my district right now, um, we're a bilingual state, we have bilingual education, I have a through K-12 bilingual education program, um, you know, but like all of us, we're, we're short teachers and particularly teachers that have those skills. So one of the things that I have created is a dual credit, dual enrollment program that I've seeded through Title 3 I'm looking for alternate types of funding right now through CTE, different things. Um, but it is a, a teacher education program that is focused on ESL bilingual students, and uh, so we we have it. It's it's with Rowan University, which is a university right up the right up the road from us. Um, and these teacher these students are taking teacher education courses, um, and we deliver them bilingually, in English and Spanish. The materials are in English and Spanish. Um, our teacher, our professor, speaks English and Spanish um they can have they we use a lot of translanguaging a lot of uh you know the discussion that kind of flows back and forth and um you know and these kids are you know first of all they're doing phenomenally well in college level work they're all between you know freshmen and seniors right now it's not grade level specific um we we gave them a college tour on tuesday um they got to see the campus meet the dean you know got swag the whole thing they are just so excited but we are guaranteeing them a job if they go all the way through. Wow. And I think that this is really important, not only just because it gives them that pathway to, a, to college and career that is just so much more accessible. If you've got the credits already before you graduate high school, but it also sends a message to our community that, you know, the fact that you are bilingual doesn't, you know, or that you're still learning English doesn't mean that you're not college material. It doesn't mean you're not smart. Um, know and and I think that that's very important because we do tend to look at our students from that deficit perspective of you know if you don't know English there must be something wrong with you and Mm -hmm. I get this sometimes where I'll have somebody come up to me and say well you know so and so is so smart why is he in bilingual and I'll be like you know there are a lot of really brilliant people on this earth who don't speak English at all and then it's kind of like oh yeah but you know (laughs) the the mentality is there right Mm -hmm. so Part of what I feel is is my mission is to counter that as much as I can.
0: Right, right. And what a great program, really Jaime Escalante and yourself, right there, with taking the taking them that. to the university and showing them their potential and the possibilities. Um, when I was um, I was a high school, I was at. Um, The science teacher and I partnered up and with a Toyota grant, we partnered up my AP students with some um, sixth graders at a uh, school that had 95% Hispanic population, migrant farm worker community. And um, it was just amazing the exchange, cultural and linguistic and the relationships that were built. But one of the things that we did was bring those kids to the high school And the seniors took them on the computer and showed them where they were going to college and Mm -hmm. what they were going to major in and what was required and how much money it cost a year. And then they showed them what scholarships were available for Hispanic kids Mm -hmm. and uh, and it opened up their world
1: completely. And one of the things that I do plan on putting into my, you know, my Title III grant proposal for next year is to have some money set aside to stipend people to help them with the application process, financial aid, um, scholarship applications, all of those things. Because we, I mean, when I did mine a million years ago, I just sat at the kitchen table and, you know, I didn't need anybody's help because, you know, you didn't do that at the time. Um, But this is a different world. And, you know, that's, you know, there's, Counselors, there's advisors, there's people who help you with your essay, there's SAT prep, there's all those things we just didn't do. Um, and so, you know, my my students that are coming into this are new to the country, they're new to this, that it's it's a completely different system. So um I'm gonna have some people who are sensitive to that but know how to help them with this process to uh to make sure that they, you know, that they get through it as well as possible and get as much as they can. Mm-hmm.
0: That's so wonderful, Joanne. You know when I, when I first met you, um, and the person that introduced me to you, Ada, she was like, "You're gonna love her. She does so many great things. You're just gonna love her," and it was true. So thank you for everything that you do. Thank, thank you so you much.
1: And we do welcome. I mean, we're a model. Pro, we we have four model programs for the state of New Jersey Department of Education, including our K through 12 bilingual. And uh, we're a clearinghouse for the state in terms of best practices for ESL bilingual education. And so we welcome visitors all the time. I always say a model program is not a perfect program. We definitely have our faults, and a lot of them you can see right off the bat. Um, but you know we're we're part of that conversation. You know, we're giving where we can, and we're taking where we can and with the with the objective of making everybody better. So if that's something that anybody would like to do, um, the door is open.
0: I love it. I love it. So thank you, Joanne, for being a guest. And um, I, I keep up the great work and sharing and mentoring and listening and being the great influence and leader
1: that you are. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you.
0: Hello again, everyone. This is your host, Linda Markley. And I'd like to invite you to nominate a teacher to be a guest on the podcast and to share their story. All you have to do is go to www.spiritofteaching.org and fill out the nomination form. Again, that's www.spiritofteaching.org. Also, please share, rate and give some feedback to help us better serve you in the spirit of teaching. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to having you back next time on Teacher Tales.